Hey guys, welcome back. As always, I count it a great privilege to be able to talk to you. And today we're going to be returning to the book of Isaiah. Uh, we've had, a, after a couple of weeks of break, uh, we're going to uh, continue our trek through this ancient prophet. And uh, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And I just want to start by asking God's blessing on this. Because Lord God, I, I know that uh, as as amazing as this passage is, uh, I am so inadequate to uh, bring to do it justice to to say anything that could uh, bring glory to you uh, and so I just pray that your spirit would take the words from the page itself in and embed them into the hearts of these guys that are listening to me right now. I ask that you would help us to see the light that's dawning in our hearts. Thank you Jesus amen. Isaiah chapter 9 begins with a fascinating word. It's the word nevertheless. I love when uh, the Bible turns the corners. And this is a corner that's being turned. If you'll recall from several weeks back, you maybe remember way back when we finished the last passage, we finished in a dark, dark area. Uh, So let's back up to the end of chapter 8 and remind ourselves of the darkness and the reason. This is a description of the people who who had uh, run away from the Lord and, and, and forgotten his word and forgotten where to find truth and stopped looking to him for their life and hope. And it says, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, They will become enraged and look upward and will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Oh, what a bleak picture for those who have forgotten who their king is, who their shepherd is. But 9, chapter 9, starts with this beautiful word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Oh, you may recognize this verse because it is quoted in the New Testament in the um, Gospel of Matthew. I want to try to uh, paint a little bit of the background so that you can kind of see the beauty of what is happening here. You see, Isaiah is describing the darkness that has come onto his land. He is projecting himself as a prophet. They often did this. The prophets would um, project themselves into the future and, and would describe the future as if it was past tense because they're it's basically standing in the future looking back on um to them in the future, what's the past? And so they're speaking in the past tense and describing this beautiful, um, you know, thing that's coming. But uh, before he can describe the beauty, he's describing that he had just finished describing the darkness. And the darkness was not just a, um, a darkness of evil overcoming the land, although it was that because the, uh, if you'll recall, the Assyrian Empire was going to attack. And, uh, and it, this was the twilight of the country of, of Israel. This was their nation's last hours, right? And the darkness was setting in. 
I I picture the last scene in the Lord of the Rings, uh, not the last scene, but in the last chapters, um, when uh, when uh, Mordor uh, was was really looked like it was going to win, when Sauron's uh, dark forces were overpowering the world, and when Mount Doom was belching out this black smoke that was just covering the sky in all directions, and 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 the whole land was becoming dark and dismal and and dreary. Um, and with with the with the idea that you know evil is about to have its final say, and is going to about to uh, you know overcome the land, and that's the picture that that Isaiah starts with this evil that is just dark darkness that's just covering the land, and it's a darkness not only of the evil empire that's that's overpowering them, but it's a darkness of the hearts, a darkness of the spirits. Uh, that that are that are just blind and 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 thrust into outer gloom. Nevertheless, he says, a light will spring out. And what's really cool is he says, um, you might not recognize some of those names. He said, in the past, he has humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, those two countries are the uh, the. Um, the northernmost tribes in the tribes of Israel. And they just happened to be on the border uh, where Assyria came in first. The evil empire of Assyria attacked in those countries first. And so they were the ones that were humbled, Isaiah says. But in those countries, in those tribes, tribal regions, where the darkness reigned first, Isaiah prophesies that that is where the light is going to spring out first. Oh, this is beautiful, guys. This is written 700 years before the time of Christ. But Isaiah, in his prophetic wisdom, was able to see that where the evil empire came in first and the judgment of God began, that was where the light was going to dawn because that was the land of the Gentiles. He calls it... In the future, he will honor the Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. These are geographic geographic descriptions of the land where Jesus Christ grew up and where he began his ministry. In Matthew 4, 12, uh, it says, when Matthew tells us, when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow, in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Oh, the darkness had not only come over the land of Israel, but it's a, the, all of the Gentile world has been plunged into this darkness. We as Gentiles, those of you who, like me, have do not have the privilege of having Jewish blood running through our veins, we're Gentiles, and we had we were hopeless. Paul says in Ephesians, in Ephesians four eighteen, the Gentiles are darkened into their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Man, that's us. That was us. We were darkened in our understanding, but a light has dawned at the very place where the judgment of God ended the reign of Israel. 
In that place, a light dawned and this new Messiah came and began preaching the light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, as Isaiah looks into this future, he doesn't see all the details, but he does describe one particular detail a little bit later on in this passage that is just one of the most extraordinary uh, verses in all of Scripture to tell us about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And it's going to be very familiar to you, and it's going to feel a little bit like Christmas again. So turn to verse 6. No, no, let's, let's, let's back up. Uh, verse 4. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. He's saying that the judgment that is coming will have an end and those, uh, those uh, enemy forces will be defeated. And then he gives the reason why. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called. <laughs> Stop there. You know how this verse ends, don't you? But before we get there, I want to point out that, G that Isaiah is saying all the judgment of these uh, the enemy empire that's coming to, to bring devastation that will have an ending time and God will defeat the enemies with a child, with a son. Have you ever wondered why he chose to, why Isaiah uh, was inspired to describe the coming Messiah as a child, as a son? Oh, well, of course, we know that the, the, that the child was born in, in Bethlehem and, 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 and grew up to become a king. But, but what was Isaiah looking at? Well, there's a couple of things here. Number one, he's saying that this is a child, not a great warrior to come to eradicate the enemy empire. This is a child. When God defeats the enemy, he will do it with not a huge giant, but with a child. But this is no, not any child. This is a son. The son of David, as we read in verse seven, he will reign over, uh, reign on David's throne and on his kingdom. This will be a son of David, which is why Matthew in the first gospel, uh, begins his very first gospel with the verse. Let me look it up here. Uh, chapter one, verse one of Matthew. This is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. A son is coming. So he it talks about him being a child, which tells us that he is a human, right? This is not some uh, some angelic uh, savior that's coming to save us from some unknown world. No, this is a human born of a of a of a mom and 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 grows up as a, as a child. He's a human child, but he is a royal child, a son of David, a, a coming Messiah is going to be a king. The government will be on his shoulders. And then we get to this astounding mountain peak of a verse that describes our Messiah with four names. Now, if you've been following along, you know that in the last few episodes, we've been talking about uh, the different children 
in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah often talks about children with their very uh, special prophetic names. We heard about a, a baby named Emmanuel, and Isaiah himself had some children with prophetic names. But now we come to a new child with names that are unlike any of the names given before, because unlike those other names, these are not, um, these are not, uh, names that you would give to, to, well, let me just say that these are names that have an extraordinary meaning. So let's unpack them. He will be called, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four designations, four character descriptions of the coming Messiah. And I want to look at each one of these and just kind of peel it apart for you. Each one, there's four names here listed, and uh, each name has two parts to it. Uh, there's a part that describes his his kingly nature, and then there's a part that does that says something even more. Let me explain what I mean. Look at this first one. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Counselor in Old Testament language was uh, was somebody who, um, well, often kings had counselors and advisors that they would surround themselves with. They were the ones that advised the kings. Sometimes even the kings themselves were called counselors. In Micah four nine, we see uh, that a king and a counselor. King was the counselor. Um, Solomon was a picture of of a great counselor uh, and a wise king. The counselor was the one who gave the advice, who had wisdom to see the what the big picture and to see where the country needed to go and so that so he gives this picture of a counselor he, in the next one uh the, in the next name uh mighty god that first word mighty means heroic warrior uh in uh, what i did a word study of um uh, uh this word throughout the old testament and it's used a uh, uh, over and over again of these elite warriors, the dread champions. Goliath was called a uh, dread warrior. Uh, David's three mighty men were given this description. Mighty, heroic warriors. And then the, the next name, uh, everlasting father. Now, the, the word father here is used, the, the word father in Isaiah is used in several places to describe um, uh, the role of a protector. Uh, in fact, I'd like to just look at a couple of the verses uh, in chapter, turn to chapter 63 and verse 16, it says, but you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. So one of the pictures here is uh, of a, a father who um, has adopted, redeemed his children and, um, has, has begun the family. And then in the very next chapter, 64, uh, verse eight, it says, yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. You, the father's the one that shapes and molds his children. So we have a, uh, so, so far we have this, uh, counselor, this wise kingly counselor, this heroic warrior, this, uh, this protecting and, and shaping father, and finally a prince, a prince, a royal prince, a, a, a the one who is 
who's destined for the throne and the, uh, the of your and of his, the increase of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on his David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness so we have this picture of a coming mighty king the son this child is also a mighty heroic king but if you noticed i went over these four words but i only took half of each of these four names because the other half of each name transports these descriptions into something far more amazing than just a king so let's go back to the to these four again and start over he will be called counselor no he will be called wonderful counselor well now in our uh, english language that does not get what was um, what that term really means wonderful in our language means yeah fantastic delightful whatever but if you take a concordance and trace this word through the whole bible the the, the hebrew word for wonderful well uh, let me take you to uh, a particular passage judges chapter 13 verses 17 this is in the uh, story of Samson, um, and it's actually his father, Manoah, and an angel had appeared to his father, Manoah. And verse 17 of Judges 13, Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. And this angelic visitor replied, why do you ask me my name? It is wonderful. Some translations say it is beyond understanding. The word for wonderful in Hebrew is the closest word they had for supernatural, unexplainable, beyond anything that we can comprehend in our human dimension. This wonderful counselor is a miraculous counselor. This is a picture of the, the word wonder is used over and over in the Old Testament of the miracles that God accomplished in the book of Exodus and, and in, in, in the book of Joshua when he delivered his people. He, he did all these signs and wonders demonstrating that he alone was God, that he alone was beyond comprehension, that he is mighty, amazing, and beyond what we can imagine, supernatural. And that is the description that Isaiah gives of this counselor king. He is a wonderful, supernatural counselor king. Uh, there's something more here, though, too. You see, Jesus wasn't like the kings who needed counselors around him to advise him. In fact, in the end of chapter, in the end of Isaiah, in chapter 40, uh, verse 13, we read, Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or who has instructed him as his counselor? The question is, what kind of counselors could possibly add anything to what God already has? He is his, this king that's coming is going to be his own counselor, his own miraculous, wise uh, uh, advisor. He doesn't need any other advice. So the Messiah is going to be an advisor, a counselor, a miraculous, supernatural uh, picture of the wisdom of God. Let's move to this next one. Mighty God. I talked about the word mighty, that means heroic, ferocious warrior, but then he adds this next word which has caused 
people consternation all uh, ever since because the especially uh, uh, the Jews when they read this they're like well, how can you call somebody a, a child how can you call him God and so they they try to um, weasel their way around this this phrase but uh, but uh, to to make it very clear what Isaiah had in mind he wasn't talking about um, some some lowered picture of You'll have to forgive me. I feel like I'm kind of stumbling over my words here. What I'm trying to say is that this phrase, this description is so clearly describing not just some great king, but God himself. And Isaiah makes that clear in chapter 10. Uh, he uses the exact same phrase again to refer to the Lord. He says in verse 20, in that day, the remnant of Israel will return to the Lord uh, verse 21, a remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. That same phrase, mighty God. This this phrase is one of my favorite names for God because it is such a powerful one. You, it, In Hebrew, it's El Gibor. You've probably heard of other uh, names like El Shaddai and El Elyon. El Gabor is another of one of the principal names of who God is, the God of all might, the God of heroic strength, the God who is a ferocious warrior, mighty God. And that's who this Messiah is going to be. And then the next, the next name, Everlasting Father. We talked about his father in Hood, that he is the one who has, has, has started his people, the redeemer and the, and the, as a potter forming the clay, he's the, he's the shaper of his people, but he is not just a father. He is an everlasting father. Everlasting. This word, uh, is used again at the end of Isaiah. And I, I realize we're bouncing around in Isaiah a lot, but it's, it's useful to see how Isaiah uses these words in different contexts because it kind of, it, it just, uh, gives a bigger picture, better picture of what we're reading about. So the everlasting father is in chapter 50, or not, the word everlasting is in chapter 50, 57, 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, everlasting, whose name is holy. The everlasting father is the one who lives forever. It can be translated the father of eternity. Another passage is in Psalm 90. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God. This Messiah King is not just some child who's going to be born at a certain time and die at a certain time. This child Messiah is the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, the progenitor of all creation from before the time that the mountains were formed, before the earth ever existed. He was the one who bring, bring it to pass, bring it about. Brought it about. And now to the final name, the prince. Not just a royal prince, but a prince of peace. Now, of course, the Israelites, when they first heard this, they thought, yes, that's what we need. We need peace. We're at war. We're being ravaged by enemy um, soldiers. We need the peace of God. 
we need the peace to come. And, 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 and so Isaiah says, yes, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this will be a peace that settles on the land that destroys war. But it's not just a, uh, the absence of war that, that Isaiah is describing because he uses the word shalom. Shar shalom, prince of peace. The word shalom does not just mean the absence of, of hostilities. It means an inner well-being, an inner spiritual whole, wholeness that comes from only one source. Turn to Isaiah chapter 26. One of my favorite verses, a, a mentor, uh, early mentor of mine when I was uh, a young uh young kid just out of Bible college um, quoted this verse to me and it's sunk so deeply in my heart. Uh, Isaiah 26, verse 3. Isaiah says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you or whose mind is steadfast on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord Yahweh is the rock eternal. Let me go back to that first line now. That's the one I want to focus in on. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. This is the the offering that Jesus wants to bring to you. When you fix your mind on this wonderful counselor, when your mind is steadfast on this mighty God, when you put your trust in this everlasting Father, he will breathe for you a prince of peace, and he will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. Gentlemen, I am so um, inadequate to do justice to this portrait of our extraordinary Messiah, but I want to encourage you just to read over these verses over and over until that picture is just so firmly um, uh, in, you know, in, tattooed onto your mind. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if we jump to the very end of verse 7, how will all of this be accomplished? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The Lord Almighty has set into motion a a, a, a judgment that started in Israel, that spread to the Gentiles throughout the world, but he brought a new light. A new light has dawned where the darkness was the deepest. A light has dawned where a baby was born who was called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of Yahweh Almighty will accomplish this. Messiah, we bow before you now, gladly and earnestly laying our lives before you because you are the king. You are the one who has saved us from the darkness. You are the one who has rescued us and who is shaping us. 
but you're more than just a king. You are divine. You are holy. You are supernatural beyond anything that we can comprehend. You are everlasting from before time began. And you bring peace, the peace of God. So, Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be this Messiah for us. I pray for the guys that are listening. I pray for any of them who who have been struggling with the darkness, who have been maybe perhaps straying back, stumbling back into the old darkness. And I pray that they would see the light again, the light of who you are and how amazing it is that we serve a Messiah who is Almighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.